You're listening to the Pursuing Financial Freedom Podcast, and I'm your host, Jess White. My goal is to inspire you to take action on your journey to financial freedom so that you can live life on your terms and live it abundantly. Thanks for listening, and welcome to the show. Our guest today on the show is Jake Savage. Jake Savage is someone I found through social media quite some time ago. He's an endurance sport enthusiast. He's a marketer. He raises money for several charitable causes, and he's just got an overall cool story that I think ties in together with what our audience is pursuing, which is financial freedom. It has to do with a lot of mindset, and the show is going to pertain to a lot of people who appreciate the endurance sport world. And I think everyone who listens today is going to get a ton of value out of the show. And I think you're really going to enjoy Jake, his personality and what he is all about. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the show and enjoy the podcast. Starting question is, there's several questions, but I want to start with how did you get into number one, the endurance world? And just tell our listeners a little bit about that, why you did it and why you continue to do it. Because most people see that as absolutely crazy, and it, and it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, it is a little crazy. I mean, my first, I think my first experience or introduction to the world of endurance was when I moved out to a little mountain town in Colorado for college in Durango, Colorado. And out in Durango, they've got this bike race that's been going on for almost 50 years now from Durango to Silverton, and there's a historic tourist train that still makes that trek, and the point of the race is to beat the train. It's a 50-mile ride uh, at like 10,000 feet elevation, and you go over two mountain passes. And so I, I lived in this town for five years and just got to see the town flourish, and hundreds of people come in, actually a couple thousand people from all over the world, uh, to this tiny little mountain town and just watch these cyclists go over these two passes uh, and <laughs> over to Silverton. And I just remember being like enthralled by it and thinking like maybe one day, 20 years from now, that would be cool. And then in 2019, I was, we had my, been married, wife and I moved to DC, like long forgotten, 10 years, way, over 10 years passed those early days of watching those cyclists in Durango. Um, and I think I saw something on Instagram for that race, like an ad or somebody talking about it. And I was like, this is the year, screw it. I'm just going to sign up for it. And I did, and it changed my life and I've been pursuing it ever since. Um, that, so that's kind of like how I got into it. So that kind of snowballed. Were you into cycling before that or no? No, not at all. I mean, I had done like some mountain biking, but not at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was for me. I pretty much, I had, well, no zero experience cycling and 60 days before my 70.3, I went to a bike shop and was like, listen, I need a bike. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm like 60 days. I'm like, yeah, 60 days. I'm, I'm an idiot. So that, that's pretty that's cool. So that was, that was your start. And that was what year was that again? That was 2019. 2019. Cool. Well, man, you're making pretty good progress. I mean, I'm looking at some of your times, so that's pretty impressive, some of your paces. When it comes to the endurance stuff, clearly you've, you've stuck with it. Why do you stick with it? And do you feel like that translates to other parts of your life? Um, I know for me it does, uh, maintaining that, that discipline. It also gives me like a really clear head and just, I don't know, I just think it's overall good for me. I've, I've loved it. 
Yeah. I think it's almost a little bit backwards for me. I, I think the reason that I've fallen in love with it and then continue to pursue it is because it's been ingrained in me from an earlier age. So a lot of the people that I meet that get into the world of endurance sports, they start to see this bleed of that like passion and that discipline bleed into their other areas of their life, be it work, relationships, family, whatever. Um, and so for me, I got started in the world of door-to-door sales, like at age 15, super young. And that's complete endurance. That's all it is. It's just like a monkey can learn how to sell. It is like, that's why most of us that get into the sales game are not the sharpest tools in the shed. Um, yeah, I think we're all super street smart, but you don't go get a master's degree and then go knock on doors to sell door to door. And so anybody can do it, but the people that are really, really successful are just the ones that are willing to put in the work and hang in there long enough through the rejection. And so I just saw that as a fun challenge, trying to win people over total strangers and push past all, all the emotional rejection and the slam doors and whatever. And I think like that was ingrained in me for almost 15 years before I got into the endurance game. And so as soon as I did that first bike race and then signed up for my first Ironman, I just saw immediate parallels. And I was like, wow, this is, this is like what I've been doing the last decade, but I get to do the physical version of like pushing past the physical rejection of like the pain that you experience and overcoming this obstacle. It is the exact same in my book. And so I think that's that's why I've loved it and just continue to stick with it. You mentioned how it's so important. It's intertwined to the mental part because you're dealing with so much rejection and that's got to be so hard to deal with that day in and day out and sometimes probably not make any sales for even weeks. Um, so I totally get that. I'm just now reading the, uh, I think it's, what's it called? The triathlon Bible book. It's like the newest yeah. edition. I have just now starting that, but one of the parts in there, they talk about the thing people don't really prep for is the mental and like you said, you had 15 years of prep for that mental aspect of it because only so much of it is physical. Yes, it's physical. But for someone like me, I think about my biggest fear is rejection, right? And the only way to work on that is to face that. Uh, maybe through something like door-to-door sales, but, but man, that's, that's really, really good. And it totally intertwines. So yeah. Another thing, you know, you mentioned sometimes in the endurance world, a lot of this does intertwine and tends to make you a better business person, a better family person. But I have seen the flip of that sometimes, maybe not so much in the business world, but I've seen some guys get so obsessed with it, right? To where they'll, they'll do everything to get those top times, but it does affect their family. And the biggest question is how do you balance that? You got two yeah. kids, you got a new baby, you got a, an awesome job. And that's yeah, a, a big question. Yeah, no, it is. And I think I'm still, I mean, the real answer is I'm still in the midst of figuring it out, but I know that I did it wrong um, for the first Ironman, that's for sure, which was only in 2020. So I'm coming up on my third, which will be next month. Um, I think that uh, for one, like one thing that's been helpful for me to realize is just like, I'm not going to go pro. Um, I mean, unless I were to like abandon everything and just try to try to pursue that, but like realistically i'm not going to become a pro triathlete or a pro ironman athlete or probably a pro anything um so you know it just comes down to like what am i willing to invest my time into and of the different options that i have to invest my time into which of those things will yield the best results for me and my family and so 
I think I, I screwed it up a little bit on the first Ironman just because I was so excited about this brand new thing. And I, I didn't know really much about training and what the process looked like. I was just following the roadmap that was given to me to train. And we had this newborn baby, our first kid, our daughter. And I think I like, you know, there's something also a little bit selfish about endurance sports, you know, cause you're spending a lot of time like by yourself and you're, you're sometimes saying no to a lot of other opportunities and like sometimes your training has to come first or at least that's what you think. And so that's what it was for me. Like we had this new newborn kid and on a Saturday I'd be like, all right, Lex, I got to take off for like a six hour bike ride and I have to do it. You know, I have to follow the plan. That's what's required of me to do this Ironman. And now with our second kid, things have changed (laughs) obviously through conversations uh, with my wife and me coming to terms with reality that like that's not gonna work and so I've just asked myself like how bad do I want to do this Ironman is it worth sacrificing time with my family or sacrificing time at work and one of the things that I've done recently that's helped me train for this one it's like a separate habit that I started not pertaining to endurance but tracking my time down to the minute um throughout the entire week. So 168 hours, I know where every single minute goes. And so like, if I'm going to dedicate more time to training, there are only a couple buckets that time can come from work or family or sleep or cooking or whatever, or commuting. Like, and so which one is it going to be? If I, if I pull it from the work bucket, does that mean I'm, you know, yielding less for our family down the road. If I pull it from the family book, it's just less time with them. So for me, I've been choosing to pull it mostly from like the sleep bucket (laughs) lately uh, and a little bit of work, but just not family at least so that that bucket stays full all week. Yeah. And so the training has been brutal, but yeah. yeah. Which even the sleep bucket, right? That's, that's tricky as well, because even though you may be pulling it from that bucket by, at least for me, by like three, 4 PM or the end of the day, man, I'm pretty beat if I do an early morning (laughs) ride or, an early run and I'm putting in all kinds of hours. Like you definitely feel it at the end of the day. And I never want to give my family those leftovers. And that's like yes. a, a super tricky, but you're, you're totally right, man. That's, that's the easiest bucket to pull from. Yeah. 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 And it, it's not sustainable. You know, like right yeah. now I'm pulling it from the sleep bucket and I pull a little bit from the work because I'm kind of like a solopreneur. I get to make mm-hmm. my own hours. So I'm working a little bit less so I can do this. Um, and that way I get more time to my family, but the, what I'm going through right now, I couldn't do 365. Yeah. That's for sure. Like it's a season and then things will lighten up after the Ironman. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, I'm just now getting into uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Just yeah. not read it, just not finished it. But he says something in there talking about the differences between the professionals and the amateurs. And that's in every sport and everything that you want to master, there's going to be a a, a part where it's you're going to hit some boredom right and right now for me in that triathlon space in the Ironman world it's exciting right it's new like every month I'm getting PRs and it's really really fun but I'm thinking to myself like yeah man this is a life habit like I love this I want to do this for life but at some point right um, it's going to take a lot more discipline if I want to maintain that and there is going to be that boredom aspect of it not that it doesn't exist now but once that exists, am I going to be able to drudge through that drudgery uh, amidst this passion? So it just made me think about that. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that that is something that's helped me think about 
like some of the other things in my life um, is the boredom piece. Cause you do spend a lot of time with yourself <laughs> on these long runs and long rides, but then you see the PR a couple months later and you know, it was worth it. And I think one of the biggest things for me, at least I'm sure all of us just as people, we forget, like we have the tendency to forget, you know, we've been in one situation and then we overcame it and we were successful. And then the next time we're in that tough situation, we forget that we were, we came out of it the last time and we were totally okay. And so like that boredom is just a good reminder that like, Hey, you'll come out of this. You might PR, you know, figuratively for whatever other area of your life. You have, it seems like a pretty strong passion, at least in the charitable world of, of raising money uh, for different charitable causes. And one of your recent ones is raising money for sex trafficking. And I love that you're, you're intertwining these two things. I think that's really important to do and at least to maintain it, right? Uh, you're intertwining your, your skill set of raising money for causes and then your passion for doing endurance sports. How and why did you pick sex trafficking in that cause? Tell us about that. So that cause has been at the forefront for me for a little over a decade. When I was 19, I signed up for a week-long trip, summer trip, to go to this sports camp in Moldova. Uh, the organization that I was going through, there were like three choices of which country I could go to for like a sports camp with these kids. And I'd never heard of Moldova, so I was like, let's go there. Um, it's former Soviet country in Eastern Europe. A lot of people haven't even heard of it. Poorest country in Europe. And uh, because it's like former Soviet, they're still trying to build themselves as a country. It's, uh, it's super corrupt. And um, it's really easy for people to come and go. And so... The reason I say that is because their number one export as a country, technically, is women and children. So it has the most amount of like sex trafficking cases per capita. Like India and Thailand and other places are going to beat it out in terms of numbers. But per capita, Moldova is the worst in the world. And so I, I, I learned all of this when I went over to that camp. And then I befriended the guy who ran the camp. And he said, if you ever want to come back and teach English, we'd love to have you for like six months. And so... I showed back up later that winter after that summer camp, and I was there for several months living in a village teaching English, and English was a preventative measure for, like, to help fight sex trafficking because it was wow. this organization that put it up that had this whole, yeah, this umbrella organization of anti-trafficking, and English was one of their preventative measures, so that's what I did. Um, and I'm, like, 20 impressionable, you know, I'm learning about all this stuff. I come back and I'm like dumbfounded. I'm like, I want to change the world. I want to fix this. Um, and I find out how prevalent it is in the U S and my mind is blown. And then sure enough, like life just comes back and all that stuff kind of gets kicked to the side. And I just yeah. got on my like entrepreneurial and sales track for 10 years. And then in 2020, when a lot of people started rethinking things, I was like, this is the time I'm going to get back to that original goal. And, uh, trying to blend the things I'm good at with what I'm passionate about and what I feel called to do and try to pursue it. 2020 was definitely a year for rethinking things, especially for me. And that's why, honestly, that's why I decided to do an Ironman. I lost my dad to COVID. Oh um, man, I'm so sorry. When I was 27, I'm 29, about to be 30 now. And that was a very, very formative time. My dad was my best friend. And, um, a great, great man. The day he was going into the ICU, he had scheduled a 100-mile bike ride. 
that he was going to fly to Delaware for that wow. day. And so just ironic how all that worked out and just happened so quickly. But that was my strong why for doing that. And, and uh, I love That's that for, for doing that for a good cause. And, and what a big cause, right? We live in kind of a corrupt, not kind of, we live in a very corrupted world um, when it comes to sex trafficking and in a world that accepts a lot of that and uh, a world that is very, I don't know, I was talking to a friend about even just pornography, how accepted that is in, in America yeah. and throughout the world. And to me, that causes even more issues in the sex trafficking world. And only, I think it exasperates that problem. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think a lot of the, the sex trafficking prevention comes down to the actions of everybody, right? Even if they're not basically going and getting a slave or whatever that is, little actions, maybe not looking at porn, right? Those things can really prevent that or help. All of those things add up. All of those things add up. And that's what I want to do with this. So this charity endurance team that um, we've been putting together over the last six months now, the whole premise is to, it, well, for one, we're almost like providing this transformational life experience to people because we're, we're trying to target people that have never done an Ironman before, right? And so to them, it's almost like we're selling them this transformational life experience. Like come do an Ironman through our charity team. We'll provide you with all the training tools, the fundraising tools, everything that you need to be successful come race day. And then they, they fundraise for this cause. And then we then grant those funds out to all these anti-trafficking groups. And I think that's the thing is a lot of these groups rely heavily on funds to operate. And you've got groups of varying capacities working on different aspects of the fight, like you mentioned, whether it's like, you know, somebody focusing on trying to tackle the whole porn issue, or it's people that are working on prevention methods or rescue methods or restoration methods or whatever, like they all need help. And so we raise this money and then we spread it out to different partners around the country and probably around the globe at some point. That's amazing. And that is that team AI? That's team AI. Yeah. Awesome. Where did that name come from? Because I know you have some association to the application, which, by the way, I do have the. Uh, oh, peakers. I don't peakers. Yeah, I got it. Nice. Okay. Yeah, cool. and I, I would say it does help. So. Man, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I, I love that. Honestly, I, it was from your YouTube video, just in case that helps you, because I was looking up, and it was funny because this wasn't even in my algorithm. I was looking up different training plans, and one of your videos popped up, and I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Oh, no. So was that the sub 12 hour video? I think so. Yeah. On Tra- okay. It was about training tools you had used. And that yeah. was one I looked into it, got the free one. I'm like, yeah, I actually kind of like this. This is kind of nice. I was looking at hiring a coach, but I was like, this is honestly just as good. For I now. think it is. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. been with them for about a year and a half now. Really happy with it. But, um, team AI will originally, well, so the nonprofit, their 501c3 is called the abolition initiative. So AI stands for abolition initiative. And that's where we got the name, um, unrelated to the app peakers.ai, but it's a nice tie in since we're partnered with them. Definitely a good tie in. Yeah, for sure. And so you have an upcoming race that you have with your AI group and this is next year. Is, Is this something that listeners can sign up for the one you talked about? Is this a half or is this a full? Absolutely. So this is a half. So for our first, we did, that's one of the things that, I mean, this whole team AI thing just seems like the snowball that's 
I just nudged it with my foot to see if it would roll. And now it's like rolling down the hill pretty dang quick, which I'm thrilled about. And one of the reasons I say that is because I sent this email off to Ironman thinking that it would just land in the abyss somewhere. I mean, multi-billion dollar corporation. But sure enough, like the global partnerships director got back to me and was like, we love this idea. Like, let's let's connect on a call. And so we're now going to be like one of their only charities. There aren't a lot of charities that partner with Ironman. I think just because really? it's difficult to get people to sign up. Yeah. There's like St. Jude's. They do the St. Jude's one in Tennessee. And then there's one in Oceanside, California, Challenged Athletes Foundation. And that's kind of it. Um, and it's a perfect space to play in because all these marathon groups, New York Marathon, Chicago Marathon, they're full. They don't want any more charity partners because there are already so many. So this is a huge white space. We just have to get people to actually sign up for them. So our first one, I thought would be a little bit more palatable if we do an Ironman 70.3. And I wanted to push it far out enough to give people the time to train and fundraise. So that's next June. And it's Ironman, or it's it's Eagleman, which is the half Ironman in Cambridge, Maryland, June 11th of next year. So if somebody okay. were to sign up or wanted to sign up, they could do so through our website. It's the $500 registration fee, which is the normal price for a half Ironman. And then you commit to raising five grand over the course of the year. We provide you with a training manual to get from A to Z. So all your funds are raised by race day. Um, and then you get free access to that app, which is normally 50 bucks a month on the low end, 100 on the high end. And then we've partnered with a fuel brand and a hydration brand that send you free product as you get started. So you're full. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you say that there's not a lot of charitable organizations that partner with Ironman because uh, I was just getting ready for the show and I was listening to, uh, it was on your other podcast, Persuasion School, which by the way, you have a ton of episodes on there. Uh, Jake has a, a podcast called Persuasion School and another one called How Far One Can Go. They're both great, but you said something in there when it came to raising money and one of your strategies, I love this, was to see if someone would want to run. It was a 50 miler that you did with the ultra. So you would ask, would you be willing to run 50 miles for sex trafficking? If that was the cause, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And the response was, uh, no. Okay. Would, would you be willing to, you know, donate 50 bucks? Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't have to, I don't have to run 50 miles. And I'm like, I mean, it seems like an Ironman is a great way to use that strategy as well. So, yeah. um, yeah, if anybody's listening, that would be a great race to sign up for. And it honestly sounds like these resources that are being given out for free uh, because you're going to pay that to sign up for an Ironman anyway. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And I might actually sign up for that one with you because I was just looking at my schedule. I do have a 70.3 in the end of June, but that could work. I could make that work. Which one? I mean, I see the pros do like two weeks. It's in Texas, Ironman Lubbock, the half. So. Okay. I've okay. got a, a couple of friends that I've I've bullied into uh, signing up for that have no experience and they have a full year to train for I it. So it. maybe That's I'll get awesome. uh, them to sign up for that one too. So, but yeah, man. Dude, that would be great. At least just come out and have fun and then yeah, yeah. push yourself at both or maybe choose one to push yourself in. But um, Absolutely. have you done Lubbock before or is this the first No, time? I haven't. I've only done one. Okay. The first one I did was in March and I'm going to do my second. So this year uh, I, I'm shooting toward my first full. I'm doing okay. Tempe, Arizona, uh, the Ooh, big full. Okay, that's right. I remember you saying so, that. Yeah. So that's, um, 
Yeah, man, I'm, I'm super nervous about that. But I'm going to do a half here in six weeks in Santa Cruz, California. Okay. So that should give me a nice confidence boost. And that's a good, yeah. gosh, what is that, eight weeks from the race in Arizona? So that's a good time. Okay. I think so. Okay. Man, well, I would love for you to join in Maryland. That'd be so great. We've got, so they're awesome. giving us 25 spaces. Um, and I would say like verbal commitments, we're probably at about 16, 17 or so. Um, so there's, there's space left for a few yeah. more people to jump on. Yeah. 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 And especially, uh, equipped with the strategy of asking people if they want to run it with you and then saying, well, you can just donate 50 bucks. That sounds like it would be pretty easy to raise five grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, You'd be surprised. That was a fun experiment. I wanted to be able to at least do it before I asked everybody else to do it for this one. Yeah. Um, and man, that's like a whole other episode that we could explore. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, teamai.org for anybody that's curious to learn. More. Absolutely. How important is being able to sell and persuade? You have the podcast Persuasion School. You're clearly very passionate about the subject. Why is this something someone should care about, the ability to sell and persuade others? There's a great quote by a sales author named Jeb Blunt. And the quote is, of course, now I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's uh, something along the lines of, many extremely intelligent people fail in the sales profession because they're unable to influence the emotions of other people. And I think that's, uh, it's not just, people in the sales profession, I think it's extremely intelligent people everywhere, um, are not like, they may fail at certain things or certain endeavors because they were unable to get their message across effectively and positively and ethically influence their audience. You know, like a great example, the easiest example is I've had like different Q&A series and seasons of Q&A on the podcast for persuasion school or we'll like open it up and people send in and almost every time the questions that come through are from women who want to learn how to use persuasive tools to pitch their bosses on giving them a raise. And like that's so like and these women, their jobs are like a lot of them are they're just all smarter than me. And a lot of these are like high profile jobs. Right. And so I, I couldn't do what they do for work. But they're coming to me to learn how to, to pitch their boss on giving them a raise. And I think that's like one of the prime examples of why this is so effective. You've got somebody who's qualified, who's put in the work, who deserves the raise. But if they're unable to communicate that to their boss effectively and negotiate and ask for it, then they may never get it. And so that's one of the like that that's just one example, but I think it speaks across the board for like why this topic is so important. Once again, it reminds me of another quote or just someone said this. I don't remember who said it. But they said, you can be a nine or a 10 in your knowledge or skills about something. But if you can only communicate at a level two or three, you're going to be perceived as a two or three. So learning those skills of even just conversational persuasion, communication, whatever you want to call it, is incredibly important, even over your IQ and how much you actually know, because people see how you communicate and they can't really see inside your head and and who you really are. So. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do love that you mentioned something in your podcast in the intro. You talk about how one of the reasons for you doing the podcast is simply that so you can become a better communicator yourself 
And you, I, for me, I've only done, I've started my podcast in the past six months and I haven't done a ton of episodes, but that was one of my reasons as well. I don't need a ton of listeners, but this is a great opportunity for me to refine uh, my communication skill sets. It's something I've suffered from in the past and it's affected uh, jobs and, and different opportunities. And being able to communicate is super, super important and facing those fears up front. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I've said this on the podcast too that I, I'm not sure I believe that you can ever overcome the fear of rejection. But like my hope through the podcast is to help people get better at managing the fear of rejection. And I think that's kind of all it comes down to. Yeah. You can't overcome it, but you can manage it. That's so true. And I think oftentimes managing that is, is just interpreting how we really should feel about that rejection. Because that rejection, it's not really encountered at Jake, right? It's just there. that rejection is pointed toward the question you're asking. And for me, I see it as when someone rejects me, they see me as a bad person or they hate me as a person. And that's why they're rejecting me. But in reality, that's not true. And the more reps you get in and, and the more experience you get in with that rejection, you're able to deal with that a lot more efficiently. So. Oh, yeah. And most people never put in enough reps to see some of those wins. You know, like mm-hmm. when I would knock on these doors, you're knocking on so many doors that you can track the data. And so I, I would have, I had a binder with pen and paper and I'm tracking how many I knock on, how many people open, how many people let me into their house and then how many sales I would get. And so I knew that, you know, I would get inside of one every four houses and sell one out of every 11 houses. So it means I have yeah. to knock on over a hundred doors right? To get 10 sales or something like that. But if you're, you, you could be somebody that's totally new to this and you go out and you talk to like nine or 10 people and you get rejected by the majority of them and you think, ah, this isn't for me, or maybe my pitch sucks or my product sucks, but you never knocked on the 11th door, which is where the sale was, you know, like you have to get those reps in to be able to learn. But most of us just come to our own conclusions before we ever get a chance to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all a numbers game. Like you said, I mean, if you can, especially if you can measure what gets measured, gets improved. But like you said, like if you knock on a hundred doors, maybe out of those hundred comes one sale or, or whatever it is that you're, you're looking for. And I yeah. think people forget that they get caught up in the first little bit of rejection. Um, and even in, I think the endurance world tie that right back. Uh, someone goes and runs three times and they they think it's too hard and then they don't run for a hundred times. Right. And you might suck for 99 times with that 99th run. You're like, man, look at the progress I've made. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I won't keep up too much of your time. Um, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. And for now, I just want to give people an opportunity to find out more about you. We've discovered that you have this upcoming race with Team AI in June. And you can remind us of the date here in a second. But also let the listeners know where they can find you on social media and your podcasts. Do you have two or do you have more? I've got two podcasts right now, How Far One Can Go, which is just kind of fun, exploring the world of endurance and the persuasion school, exploring the world of persuasive communication, obviously. So those two, can, you can be, they can be found anywhere, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram, and that's at it's Jake Savage. And then Instagram, I'm just kind of like having fun there, uh, talking about the endurance journey. And then I'm actually making a documentary with a buddy of mine who used to weigh 480 pounds, 
Please talk remember. about that because I love following the story and clearly it's getting some traction because every reel you post about it gets blown up. So I want to yeah. hear more about it. It's pretty cool. So like that and the snapshot, and that's really fun. Um, and I would love people to follow that journey because when the doc comes out, we want it to blow up. But um, I, I've known this guy. We were great friends growing up and then we kind of like lost touch a little bit post high school, but from kindergarten uh, on, we were we were friends and he like uh, maybe a little after high school started telling people he wanted to get into the music industry, you know, and he's like living in his mom's basement. We're like, what are you talking about? You want to get into the music industry, dude. And he kept saying he wanted to be a ma- like manager. It'd be like Ari Gold from Entourage. That was his dream. And like, we're all kind of giving him crap for it, but he, he kept pursuing it, kept pursuing it, kept pursuing it, started managing people, started booking tours for people, started getting a little bit more notable artists under his belt. And then a few years ago, gets this rapper called DaBaby under no his way. belt. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And that's funny because I, I interviewed him on Persuasion School a few years ago. And him and I are in the green room of his show with DaBaby, who I had never heard of. And he had... He, and, and it was a smaller show. It was like a 500-person venue because baby was still up and coming. And he was like, "Are you want to stay for the show? Like, I've got VIP passes. And again, like, I'm not really into that type of music. I didn't know who baby was. So I was like, no, I'm good. But I, I could have, like, met and hung out with him. That's um, so funny. And now he's, like, usually in the top 10 streaming artists of all time on Spotify, in and out, uh, like beating out Drake on some of these these boards. So, anyways, my buddy just started blowing up. Then after the baby, he's gotten a handful of more, just like insanely huge artists, and he's just like tra- traveling the world with these tours. So, anyways, I he's tried everything to lose weight because he's as his business has grown, so has he, and he blew up to almost five hundred pounds over the last ten years. Um, and he's seen me like dive into this endurance world over the past few years. And we were chatting one day and I was like, man, like I know you've tried all these things and they've never worked, but have you ever tried leaning into your strengths in terms of dieting or an exercise program? Because I see one of your strengths as endurance. Like you're, you have this ability to persevere when everybody was telling you you were stupid, you were wasting your time pursuing the stream of the music industry, you were stubborn enough to like hang in there and now you're a millionaire. Like, I think this is a strength. And I think the endurance world, like if you were to tap into that, you'd be able to captivate or capitalize on, uh, on that strength. Like what if we made a documentary together of you training, losing weight, we pick a date on the calendar, like three years from now for you to do a full Ironman. And we'll see if we can like get the documentary blown up. And he's like, I'm 100% in. So we got, we started a little over a year ago. We're with each other Monday through Friday, every day, every, every weekday. Uh, we do a workout, a different workout, swim, bike, or run, basically walk. And then I'll make him like a plant-based meal. Um, and the guy who produces the show Cobra Kai on Netflix is like the guy that's going to help produce this documentary. And we're, we're having fun with it. And he's going to do it through our nonprofit. So team AI. So it all kind of ties together where I get to use him as like my advertising and marketing to get people to sign up for team AI. He gets to lose weight. We have a documentary. It's a lot of fun. Genius, but also a tremendous way to add value to a friend's life and help change their life and a huge commitment on your end. I mean, you guys are on like 
day 300 and whatever, 50 something. Last time I, I saw your post, you're almost yeah. a year in. And the recent one I saw was, I think he swam 500 meters. Is that correct? Yeah. So that was just before, um, we're, we're at day 380. He swam 500 meters nonstop, which is more, more than a lot of people can do uh, yeah. that weigh 200 pounds less than him. He's a good yeah. swimmer. Um, he's a good swimmer and he's determined, dude, like this guy, he has the grit. He has the endurance. Like once he loses enough weight to be able to like safely accomplish an Ironman, it's game over. He, he does not quit. Um, and so we've done a couple five K's together. And then this past Sunday was the big one. It was a 10 K. So Ooh. a 6.2 mile walk, man, which is no small feat when you weigh that much. I'll wear a weight vest sometimes when we go on our walks of just 40 pounds. And it's like, it's been eye opening for me to realize what it must be like to walk around with 200 extra pounds. And this guy, he accomplished it, man. He, he crossed the finish line of that 10 K and did something he thought he wasn't sure he could do. And yeah, it's been, it's been a really fun, fun journey. I cannot wait for that documentary to come out, even though that's going to be some time from now. The, yeah. What a cool story. What a cool opportunity. And what a cool opportunity for you Forget you know, any accolade or any product at the end of it, you know, the accolade documentary, but to see a life transformed, um, not just physically because this happens mentally as well, but you oh, just, yeah. one more thing, you mentioned the weight vest. I did one of those Spartan races, one of my first ones uh, a few months ago in Colorado Springs and a friend okay. of mine, he lost 80 pounds, uh, in the past two years. And I got to see that transformation for him. And, you know, that's not 400 pounds, but that was still a lot. And he had this emotional moment during the race. I'm not a super strong guy by any stretch of the imagination. So we had to carry this 80 pound big bucket of concrete up this hill. And we're already at altitude. It's the summertime and it's just miserable. And it's this 80 pound weight. And he looks at me and he's kind of emotional. He's like, Jess, I just realized something, and I'm struggling so hard to carry this weight up the hill. This is the weight that I lost over the past couple of years, and I'm carrying it up the hill. And he got to the, pot, the bottom, and, he's, and he said, this is me symbolically letting that go forever, and my life has changed. Wow. I'm like, wow. whoa, bro. This was not supposed to be deep, (laughs) but it is. You guys, this time is now sabotage because you're just like crying together at the bottom of it. I mean, that'd be me though. That'd be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's really great. Yeah. Well, man, it's Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm glad we could finally get it on the schedule and people know where to find you. Once again, your Instagram, the quickest way for for people to connect with you is? At It's Jake Savage. You got it. Jake, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks again. Appreciate you having me on. It's awesome. And that was our episode with Jake Savage. What a gift to have him on today. He's got a great story and I'm really glad we could finally have him on the show. And I want to thank everyone that's been listening to the Pursuing Financial Freedom podcast and be sure to tune in on the next episode.